no. It's the American Soccer Show. Eric O'Cantor, Evan McConnell. Emmett's back from his adventure in South Africa, ready to tell the entire world. In fact, this is an entire hour-long podcast dedicated to Emmett's travels in South Africa. So, Emmett, you're just going to take the wheel, and uh, if you have any questions, I'll be happy to uh, throw you some. It was 8 a.m., cold, wet morning. No, just kidding. Back to soccer. <laughs> this is the American Soccer Show. <laughs> Not talking yeah. about South Africa. No. We it, that's right. We have other places to go that are south of here, like South America, because this is the American soccer show, and I think it's it's only right, right? Because I'm sure by now, if you if you like the sport, you've probably heard about the crazy things going on in Buenos Aires, Argentina, for that Copa Libertadores second leg between River Plate and Boca Juniors. And if you're unfamiliar, basically. You know, they, like I saw commercials this weekend leading up to the game between like Auburn and Alabama and Ohio State and Michigan talking about biggest rivalry in sports. And yeah, maybe you're a Red Sox Yankees person or uh, I'm trying to think of other big rivalries like Patriots Colts back in the day. The reality is they all pale in comparison. Even Real Madrid Barcelona probably pales in comparison to this thing because it. The, the amount of hate that these people have for each other is so apparent that they there's two legs in this final and they had to play one of them they had to play both games with no away support allowed like they they just didn't even bother trying they figured it was gonna a disaster in the making and so they didn't bother letting away fans into the stadiums and then the first leg gets delayed to storms of the century where it's rained and the pitch is waterlogged and now the second leg is delayed because river plate fans attacked a boca juniors bus full of boca juniors players obviously and staff two players end up in the hospital uh, tear gas was thrown by the police at the fans trying to get them to go away and disperse and all it really did was end up making the situation worse for the boca players who were as you might expect pretty shaken up and then you know, the game was postponed a couple times on Saturday. The thought was the game would still be played, the game would still be played, and finally, Comeable made the correct and the only logical decision to throw it out and postpone it for another day, but that that thing was just a whole mess. I honestly cannot believe anybody actually sat there and said, I don't know, I think we could still play this. <laughs> I mean, they, even more than saying, oh, I don't know, I think we could, they were forcing them to play it. FIFA president Johnny Infantino said that if Boca would forfeit if they didn't play. Same now, the- to be f- uh, I was just going to say, to be fair, he, he has come out and denied that. I, I, you, you believe who you want to believe. I certainly believe the report that he forced he was going to try to force them to play. Same thing with Conmable executives. Uh, the official Conmable doctors said, yeah, they're fine. Even the people went to the hospital, they can play today. Everyone's saying, oh, we're in no position to play, no position to play. Seemed like they couldn't really grasp the severity of the situation. Uh and, I mean, if you think you are have a big rivalry with, you know, your friend from college because you're a Red Sox fan and he's a Yankees fan, until you've seen stadiums destroyed, blood shed, <laughs> fires burned, houses destroyed, oh. I don't think it's a real rivalry. Did you see Did you see the story before the first leg where two, I think they're related, I don't remember what their relation was, but two people in Argentina were related and they are, you know, one's a River fan, one is a Boca fan, and this man burned the other guy's house down because they had a disagreement over the game. And these are friends, imagine if they were <laughs> complete strangers to each other. Ugh. <sighs> I, I know it's, it's like we're laughing about it because we can, but like this is serious. Like this is so bad and it reflects so poorly on the sport that we love. Like 
these are the kinds of things that make it hard for me to say like can you like this looks so bad and i get that it's you know fairly common down there not maybe not to this level but generally this kind of you know this kind of uh, away support or you know home support against the away team right it, they're very intimidating they can be very intimidating and so I, I it's not necessarily new but it's like man when you see it and it, it causes this and you got players again going to the hospital that's it's just such a bad look and i saw shots of the stadium because i was looking forward to watching this thing and I saw shots of the stadium, just like kids all around, people kind of laughing, having a good time. And I'm like, man, you know, if I had kids, am I taking them to that stadium? Oh, I, I guess we just don't know what it's like to be Argentinian. I guess I don't. Uh, you know, my my dad was telling me that he had his reservations back in the day, going to taking me to Soldier Field. Back, Mexico played a friendly there years ago, years and years ago against Honduras or El Salvador or Guatemala, one of those teams. And he was like, ah, you know, I, I was kind of on the fence about it for a while because, you know, these people are, you know, they're unpredictable. And that that's Mexican fans who can be pretty, you know, wild themselves, but pretty much never to this level, generally. Yeah, I've never, I mean, you can look up videos on YouTube if you have the time uh, about this. It's called the Super Classico yeah. uh, of, you know, fans, just massive 3,000 people brawls where just the fans in the away section jump into the home fans section where, of course, there's a big stadium. Like, there's probably 40,000 home fans and these 3,000 away fans are starting a fight with them. Like, it's... There's police at every game uh, protect the refs. I mean, at, that, at the end of the first leg, I think it was, or in the semifinal also. Yeah, they, in the semifinal. They had to bring refs to escort the... Uh, police to bring, <laughs> escort the refs out. <laughs> bring need, the refs to escort the police. <laughs> <laughs> now that would be a twist. I tell you what, I'd pay good money to see that. I mean, nobody has the respect of anyone except for the refs. So, I mean, <laughs> it is it is a very uh, fierce rivalry. So I'm looking forward to the last game at least. Yeah, I definitely – I'll be interested to see the game. It's unfortunate that the game is going to end up being overshadowed by this because at this point I don't know how anybody's going to have a level playing field here. There's been some talks uh, about moving the game. We'll talk – Maybe a little bit at the end about what their plan is going forward, but yeah, it, it's it's a disaster, and we'll we'll see what they end up deciding to do. A decision's coming tomorrow morning, uh, according to Common Ball officials. So we'll see what they end up deciding to do when they play it. How they will they play it in front of an empty stadium? I think that's a real possibility that they'll consider. Uh, obviously, it's all about the money, right? I don't, I don't think I need to spell that out for anybody. It's obviously all about the money. So they're going to do what's best for TV ratings. So I, I would expect this game to stay during the weekend, but. And in front of the fans, even though they'll be allowed to reuse their tickets. But then you even have River, River Plate fans fighting amongst each other. Like, there were reports of River fans losing their tickets to people without tickets. Like, it's just a mess. And, but, in other news, uh, got a little bit on the brighter side, uh, if you see it that way. Orlando City GM Nikki Budalich was fired, according uh, to a report by Paul Tenorio of The Athletic today. Um... Interesting signs for Orlando. Yeah, that makes... I mean, it kind of makes sense. You consider that this team basically is going to need another rebuild, and you kind of have to get rid of the guy who's in charge of the last one, right? Yeah, the it's, last one failed pretty pretty poorly, I would say. Did not work. So Spectacularly. I, it makes sense to me. Uh, I think this is definitely... I mean, this is definitely the front office stepping up and saying, you know, we hear you, fans. We want You want change. We're going to try to make change happen. But, you know, you have this coach who some say might be in over his head. 
uh, we'll see how that works out for him. Obviously, they're going to need some changes on that roster, and look, overhauling a whole roster and being competitive in that Eastern Conference is going to be difficult. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, didn't work. I mean, how many times, let's look back the last few years, has a roster overhaul worked for anyone except maybe, I guess you consider, a uh, expansion team? Yeah, outside of the expansion teams off the top of my head, I mean, uh, the fire, I guess, wasn't really that big of an overhaul, but it was uh, you know, a decent shift, bringing in Schweinsteiger, bringing in McCarty, uh, Nemanja Nikolic joining the party. Oh, that's that's actually a pretty decent one. I, I mean, it did end up working out more than one season, but I mean, when you're Orlando and you've never been to the playoffs and this is your fifth season in existence, I'd say that a playoff run would be a success, even if it does end the way that, uh, the, way that the fires ended. Yeah, I mean, listen, this is a team that has yet to make the playoffs. They've yet to even really get that close to making the playoffs. They've had a loyal fan support up until basically the end of this year, selling out most games. I mean, they gotta they gotta have something to show for it. And bringing in a a new GM is probably the first step. I don't know if it's an ownership problem, if it's a coaching problem. I mean, they had uh, Heath now at Minnesota. They had Jason Kreiss, and now O'Connor. I mean, is it is any of the fault lying? All three of those guys? The GM? Is it the owner? I don't know. It's a complicated situation. It is. And look, there's something to be said for... You know, some of it is you can chalk it down to some bad luck. I mean, they, they have talented players. It's just some of them just end up working not working out. And some of it's just bad investments in players. You know, the Coleman signing they, that, you know, you needed him to be, a, a, you know, a high-level player for you. And he barely got on the field sometimes because they just... He just couldn't play. So... I mean, he's, it kind of it goes both ways. He's twenty, so I can give him the benefit of the doubt. But they bring in like Uri Rosell, you know, kind of. He's been in MLS. He's a guy who should have, you know, been abroad. I believe he's from the Barca Academy. Like they bring in DP Lamine Sane, Amro Tarek, Egyptian international, Mohamed El El Munir. I think he's a Algerian international. So they're bringing in like you know guys we'd expect to have some pedigree. But even with those guys, the defense was pretty non-existent, and I'm wondering. I mean, they're gonna have to. They might probably have to do it again because I don't think that they're gonna be able to pick up where they left off last year and be competitive. No, that team definitely does need some kind of overhaul. Uh, other MLS news, I guess, since since we've been gone, Oscar Pereja is gone from FC Dallas, heading to Club Tijuana in Mexico. Apparently, apparently with a clause in his contract that says he can opt out at any time if the U.S. men's national team job is offered to him. Okay, well. I guess we know it's not Oscar Pereja. Unless it was just some sort of troll where he's going to Tijuana for three weeks for a vacation and comes back. Yeah, but, I mean, there was a report from the Columbus Dispatch that Greg Berhalter is confirmed. Um, Well, I guess confirmed isn't the right way to do it, but they said he's going to be the coach. We have no official confirmation yet, but we've been talking about this for what feels like a year. Uh, waiting for uh, it to be Burhalter. It has been a year. Yeah, it's been <laughs> almost it a full year. probably is Burhalter. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you get the idea. So, I don't know. Interesting, I guess, just in this uh, Pareja, that is. Interesting just in the sense that that's, you know, a pretty highly regarded coach, all things considered, in the grand scheme of the, the league. So, that's another one kind of leaving. You know, Vieira, Marsh, you, we assume Burhalter's leaving. Pareja, Tata Martino on his way out the door as well. Might be a surprise here or there. I mean, the yeah. union re-signed Jim Curtin. Seems like Ponovich will be staying at the fire. So, uh, a lot Good of overhauls. That. Good with that if it meant Nelson Rodriguez was leaving, but I guess he's not. So, fine. <laughs> fine. 
We'll see how it works for Orlando. Maybe Chicago will have to uh, follow uh, their their uh, their footsteps if it works out for Orlando. If the new GM sorts things out, honestly, honestly, if we're following footsteps, I'd rather follow the Atlanta United footsteps. And I, <laughs> maybe maybe that's a bit uh, overzealous by me. Maybe we don't have that kind of cash. But I'm just saying that team looked pretty good out there in that three nothing victory over the Red Bulls. Which brings us to Sunday. Yes. Oh, big day for Atlanta. Uh, no Kamar Lawrence for the Red Bulls in this one. Huge, I'd say. I think we both probably agree uh, when we put together our teams of the year, we have Kamar Lawrence as the best left back in the league. So that's huge. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm a big fan of Connor Laid. I think he's uh, he's been an absolutely terrific squad player for them, playing right back, left back, wing back. Uh, but in a game like this, you need your star defender. And this has been you know, one of the best defenses he's been part of it. Yeah, it's tough. It's it's tough to replace that kind of experience too. He brings a lot of it to the table. He's you know by no means by no means is you know your guy that you just mentioned a you know bad player, but it's it's hard to slot in on relatively short notice because I don't think anybody expected Lawrence to miss this game. We weren't sure. We I hadn't heard anything anyway about him missing. So I, this was kind of relatively short notice. He comes in in a tough situation to say the least in Atlanta against probably the most potent offense in the league. It's a tough ask. It's probably the most difficult. I mean, uh, was it Bradley Wright Phillips came out and said uh, two weeks ago before the international break that whoever wins this match is going to win MLS Cup. I don't know about that, but it does, you know, this is the two, you know, strongest teams disagree. in the league record-wise. Uh, Red Bull's best defense, Atlanta best offense. And, I mean, like I said, I like Lade, but it's... He he would need to have been you know established playing a lot for this to be uh, a better transition for him. But yeah, that's not an easy game to step into. I don't think he was bad by any stretch of the imagination. But you know they do lose something on defense when you miss a guy like Lawrence. They do, and so you know it was a tough ask as it was. The Red Bulls were quiet in this game to say the least. That you know the Atlanta the Atlanta game plan was basically just to suffocate them, and they did that to perfection because it, it, it always felt like there were like 14 at 15 Atlanta players on the field at all times. And so every time the Red Bulls were on the ball, it felt like they were getting pressured for it. Every time Atlanta had the ball, it felt like they always had numbers going forward in the attack. So it, it's so difficult to play Atlanta when they're clicking like that, like they were in that game. And like they have been throughout the playoffs because when you, when Martinez is in, getting back into form, Almiron's getting back into form, you have guys like Franco Escobar who are unsung players and yet those, I, I say they're like second-tier players, right? The ones that are behind, the, you know, the Almirones, the Martinez. When a guy like that has a game the way Escobar did yesterday, they're almost unbeatable because their second-tier players are so much better than everyone else's. I mean, everyone everyone for Atlanta stepped up. You had Greg Garza back, so you have your, your, you know, your left wing back, back in. I mean, they, Jeff Lorenowitz, how important has he been? Tata Martino says we got to find him somewhere to play. He ends up playing as a third center back, and I thought he was terrific there. He ends up lining up the assist for the first goal. Yes, he was. Lorenowitz was great in this one. Julian Gressel, who's played everywhere, he's played on the wing. He's played uh, as a fullback, played as a wingback. Now he's playing as a central midfielder next to Nagby and in front of Ramadi. It's it, the versatility is amazing with that player. Gressel's and he had an assist as well. He had a great run and a great assist in the game that helped put the game you know, far out of reach. It's incredible what they do. And, you know, uh, it kind of goes to show that, if, what is it, the old saying, if you build it, they'll come? 
you build a team like this, people will come out and support it. And, I mean, that stadium was rocking. And, it was. I mean, you know, say what you will about Atlanta or Atlanta fans. If you're not, a, you know, if you're from Orlando, you don't really like them or whatever. But, man, that was exciting to watch. Uh, and it's always great to see MLS getting that kind of support. And, I mean, yeah, when a team's that good, you know, you get fans. I don't know how many teams, you know, play that well. I mean, Red Bulls, they do pretty well with fans. I mean, Sporting Kansas City, LAFC, play well, have a decent stadium in a good location. Look what happens. Yeah, and, and by no means am I saying, you know, it's that simple, right? There are there are always di- different factors that come into this. But at the end of the day, it really is just put a good product out on the field first and foremost. And I, I will always shame the fans for not showing up and, and watching a good team. I don't care. Oh, but oh, but the travel's like, well, if they're good, you should go and support them. No, no doubt in my mind. Looking at you, Dallas, at least in the yeah. beginning of the season. Wow. <laughs> oh, boy, how the mighty fell on that one. But, yeah, no, look, this was just – it was a bad day at the office in just about every category for the Red Bulls. They couldn't get anything going forward. I, I will say this. It feels like Chris Armas may have finally found his match because, you know, I don't know that Jesse Marsh would have been as badly – I don't want to say badly prepared because I'm sure Chris Armas prepared very well for this game. But, you know, it just felt like there were no adjustments made to fi- to flip the script here at any point. You know, they did get a goal and had it taken away by VAR. And, you know, after a few replays and Taylor Twelman walking me through it, uh, <laughs> thank you to Taylor Twelman because at first I was like, oh, man, these Red Bull fans are going to be furious. But, no, they call uh, Mule offside because he's uh, he's – obstructing the view of Brad Guzan while at an offside position, which is by the letter of the law offside. I don't love it, but I get it. And I guess, you know, by the rules, if it rules are rules, right? That's, I've always kind of gone by that motto rules are rules. And it's that simple sometimes. Yeah. And I think, I mean, he's one step to either side that counts as a goal. Uh, But the giveaway for me when I was, you know, when I finally saw after Twelman kind of explained it was that, if you look at the freeze frame of the replay, Brad Guzan is leaning about a foot to his left, and you can see he's trying to see around Moyle. And then, of course, Wright Phillips shoots it to his right, his weight's the other way, uh, and it just goes past him. So, in the end, I do think it's a good call. You know, it is the rule, and but if Guzan wasn't leaning there, uh, if Moyle was a step to either side, you know, that's probably should have been a goal. Uh, all you know, credit to Red Bull. They set it up pretty well. It's pretty unlucky that it gets taken away, all things considered. It's true, and it's exactly what they would have wanted because the game was would have been 1-1 at the time. It's pretty unlucky for them because this is kind of what they probably would have wanted, right? Yes, you would prefer not to get you know kind of run over, which is kind of what they were after this, but they, did, they would have gotten their away goal. They would have gotten it off a set piece that they clearly drew up to get the ball in a certain place. It, it was well executed, really. It's just it's unfortunate that Mule was kind of in the wrong place at the wrong time. And in that sense, I, I wanted to ask, because I think perhaps an underrated part of goalkeeping is actually being able to see. It happened to it happened to Kepa, Aretha Balaga, this weekend, Chelsea, where a ball that he probably isn't saving anyway, even if he sees it all the way. I think it should have been saved. I know what you're talking about. That was... You think he should have saved it even without being able to see it? It was it was like 25 yards out. He can't see. I know, but if you're saying if he can see it, I think he's Oh, if he can see... Okay, no, okay, that's fair. All right, that's fair. Uh, I'd have to see it again for that specifically, but I I was more I was more leaning towards the fact that he's, goalie's not being able to see. Yeah, I mean, like, it's reaction time is everything. Not being able to see until the ball gets past the defender, 
right? You can't see how the forwards line up their hips. You can't see where they're striking the ball. You can't see if they're opening their hips or not. So really, you only have half a second to make up your mind, whereas before you can kind of process all these things as it happens. I think there is an underrated ability to goalkeeping to uh, not only kind of line up your defenders so that you can see, but uh, finding ways to see yourself. Personally, I liked, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not the biggest guy. I'm like 5'11". Five, five a lot of these goalies are like 6'4". I like looking between the legs of the defenders, getting down low so I can see the ball. Um, obviously, Guzhen's a big guy. Uh, that's not really an option for him. But, yeah, it's it's... It's one of those things where when it happens, you can't really do anything. So you have to try to find ways to prevent it. But again, that's usually you don't, it's by the time you're trying to prevent it, it's too late. The shot's already been taken and it's in the net. This was your goalkeeper's union statement brought to you by, well, we don't have a sponsor for this segment yet, but if you'd like to sponsor this segment, please let us know. Get in touch with our producer. <laughs> yeah. And they'll get you a spot. But um, yeah, I mean, that takes away everything from the Red Bulls. Uh, I still think this scoreline was pretty indicative of the game overall. But you know the Red Bull, it didn't feel like the right the regular Red Bulls, you know. As suffocating as Atlanta was this game, if you remember the last time they played in New Jersey, that was the Red Bulls to Atlanta. They were that suffocating. So really, Martino really flipped the switch on this one. He did. He did a great job. And like I said, one of the things I wanted to talk about, you mentioned the goal kind of, you know, goals change games. It's a cliche. But one of the things is that, you know, Taylor Twyman was saying, but I don't know that this doesn't help Atlanta. He's And he went on to say, well, you know, now that you've seen the ball hit the back of the net, it re-energizes you. And I think to myself, I mean, sure, but then th- doesn't doesn't it go the other way too? The ball enters the back of the net and it doesn't count. It's demoralizing. To me, it would be demoralizing because, you've you know, you've worked so hard. You know, you've kept the game close to that point and now you've got your away goal and now it's been taken away from you. That, to me, does the opposite. I think I think it kills you. Agree. And, I, it's like a penalty save or penalty miss. Yeah, and so they did look a little. I, I give him credit because they did look a little better after that. But and as soon as I typed that up in the notes, of course, Atlanta turned it around, got that Franco Escobar goal from the you know the pass from Julian Gressel after he made such a, a great run, and and that was it. That was game. Yeah, I mean, the game was going to be over, but the Red Bulls still looked like they wanted that one away goal, and that pushing kind of in the end seemed to be what did them in for the last one. I mean, okay, you really want your away goal, but at one nothing, okay, you're fine. You just did it against Columbus. You could probably do it again. It's two nothing. Okay, you're really gonna need a good game at home. But at three nothing, that is worst case scenario. You have to. Time. It is worst case scenario because you're gonna have to take the game to Atlanta. And the only thing more dangerous than an Atlanta team that's you know on the front foot is an Atlanta team that's got numbers hitting you on the counter. Which it's, is it's how they got a bunch of goals in this game. Break through the midfield. The Gressel goal was a three-on-two. Uh, the the last goal by um, by uh, Vialba, counterattack. I mean that was those last two goals were how they hit you on the break, and they're that quick that they can do that. Even if the Red Bulls weren't, you know, they were sitting back for most of the game, push up for a little bit. They're that quick to get behind you. So, you know, Red Bull fans may be feeling a bit salty today about, you know, VAR because it takes away their set-piece goal. Again, letter of the law, it's probably the right call. And then in the 94th minute, in stoppage time, there's uh, there, there's a, an attempt. There's Lorenowitz. The ball comes in, and he's, he's moving his hand back towards his body, and the ball hits him in the arm. I'm not even sure if it hits him in the arm. 
I think I might I think have hit him. In, I think I, I might have hit him. In just the having seen it a few times, I think it does. I I'm okay with it not being a penalty for that reason. I think that you're more forgiving because the ball's heading back towards his body. For me, trying it's, to keep it away from the ball. Even if it hits his hand, I don't think it's a handball. It's in a natural position. His hand's down by his side. It's not moving towards the ball. He's not gaining an advantage. You know, it's from a, it's from a fairly close. Right, he's making position. himself smaller. Yeah, exactly. I even if it hits his hand, which okay, we'll say it hits his hand in this situation. I still don't think it chick. Um, it clicks any of the three boxes necessary for it to be a penalty, which would be, okay. you know, adva- getting advantage or moving to the ball or being in an unnatural position. That's my take on it. If you want an idea, if you want an idea of how dominating this really was, for the first time in this season, the Red Bulls had zero possessions start in the attacking third during the first half. That's bad. They averaged a league high six point four in the first half this season. So that's from uh, Paul Carr on Twitter. That is that's amazing. It's absolutely amazing because I mean that a team like the Red Bulls that plays so consistently well in so many phases of the game to not be able to get one takeaway in the first half in the Atlanta third of the field tells you just how badly they were getting pushed around in that game. Especially from such a direct team. Yeah, that's not being able to get into that position uh, is going to be tough. I mean, I think that the three Atlanta defenders, it came down to them controlling uh, Wright Phillips, Kaku not getting any space. Uh, but you know what? For the next leg, I honestly think we'll see a different story. I think the Red Bulls will be the suffocating side. Uh, and Atlanta will be the one who kind of struggles. But even in that case, three goals is going to be a lot. And if Atlanta scores, it's going to be four. Yeah, that would be five, be, actually. Yeah, I was just going to say that's no. Yeah, it would be five in that. That's a tough ask there. That to is, keep Atlanta scoreless or to score five on Atlanta and then to keep them to just one. Yeah, so. It would be a tough ask and a half. going to be tough. And if Atlanta lines up anything like they did this time. I can't see the Red Bulls putting more than two past them. Yeah. Miracle is needed on Thursday. Uh, the other thing, the other talking point here, and then it'll help us transition to the other one, international break minutes. Atlanta United players played 303 minutes during the, the international break, and the New York Red Bulls players played 793. It's a pretty big difference, 400 minutes plus. And with the Red Bulls, you had guys playing... Yeah, like Michael Murillo, who started and played 90, did the same thing for both his international games. He's 180 of those minutes. Um, Tyler Adams played a lot. So, yeah, I mean, even for Atlanta, I would say that 303 is a pretty significant number considering what some of the Western teams had played. Agreed. So, But, yeah, it's tough. And you know, a lot of us were wondering why Tyler Adams played 90 minutes against Italy for the U.S., kind of still wondering myself because I don't really see why he needed to. And if you were going to play him 90 minutes, why not play him 90 against England and then rest him against Italy, send him back after that? But yeah, I mean... What do I know? You end up playing within the span of 15 days. If you start four games, 90 minutes, like Michael Murillo did, for example, you end up playing four games in basically two weeks. That's That's too much for me. That's a lot, and look, these are these are tough places to go. Now, this is not to make you know massive excuses for anybody, but it's you know because Atlanta had Miguel Almiron had to go play in South Africa for Paraguay. Uh, Joseph Martinez had to play against Japan and Iran. Uh, Hector Villalba played, and that's again in that same Paraguay side against South Africa, right? These are not those were not nothing. 
And but that's again, a big travel time. That's a 16-hour flight. Yeah, but at the same time, Tyler Adams, 90 minutes against Italy. Fidel Escobar, 90 minutes. Derek Etienne, 90 minutes. Kamar Lawrence, 90 minutes. Aaron Long, 90 minutes. You already mentioned Michael Rio. Kaku Gamera played in that Paraguay squad. Yeah, that it's, ter- it's tough. And I think that kind of shows the, the impact that the international break can have sometimes. And now they got to come back and another fairly short break on Thursday. Yeah, quick turnaround. So that brings us to the other game where there were almost no international minutes played, in case you're wondering. Portland played 270. Sporting KC played 17. That was all one guy, Johnny Russell. <laughs> I mean, what does that say about uh, their squad? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, that's rough. It, it's helpful for Sporting Kansas City, but um, in the end, it didn't make all too much of a difference for them, I guess. I mean, Portland with the 270 is pretty minuscule to uh, Red Bulls, almost 800. So, um, I mean, this is another thing they're looking at when they're deciding to change the uh, change the scheduling next year. I have that big rumor out there that they want to get this thing done before the international break, right? Yeah. The November international break. That's... It seems like they're trying to get the uh, season to be done by this, uh, you know, th- this point next year, and um, you know, we'll see if it makes a difference. I, I'm not so sure how much the uh, those games did make a difference in the end because, despite Sporting's minuscule minutes, they still couldn't find a way to break through Portland. Yeah, and well, here's the other thing. I did not know this, but it was said that a remind, kind of like a reminder, blast to the past, is that the reason the MLS season used to end earlier and was pushed back later was because Jurgen Klinsmann thought that the league ended too early and gave players too long of an off season. And I was like, huh, that sounds like something he would say. Yeah. I mean, currently if you're, uh, you know, if you make it to the last game, your off season is just under two months, which would be, I guess, fairly similar. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, that's last game to next to first game of the next year. I mean, in Europe, if you go to the Champions League final, which should be at the end of May, say it's June 1st, you have all of June, all of July, and half of August. So it's fairly similar in that. It's a little over two months. But uh, it's, yeah, I mean, I, I, I can't blame them for wanting to shorten a little bit, get them more off season. But we'll see how that changes things. We will see. Yeah, I'm interested to see what kind of scheduling proposals they put out there. And I, I imagine we'll hear more news as the days and weeks go by here as we get closer to MLS Cup in December. Talking about this Portland-Kansas City game, uh, two teams, uh, you know, Kansas City very much known for their ability to defend. Portland, not so much at times this season. But you know, both teams didn't really give an inch. I'd say both teams had their best players on the back line yesterday because, you know, the, every time – you thought that there might be an attack. Somebody was able to snuff it out or what have you. There weren't a lot of shots in this game at all. It was only, you know, one shot on target for Sporting Kansas City. You know, Portland had six. And a couple of those are, you know, long bombs that never really had a chance of going in. Some big saves from Tim Melia, no doubt, who I think was some people's man of the match, given how good he was in goal for Sporting Kansas City yesterday. And you come to expect that from him. Absolutely. He's, I would say, one of the more talented goalkeepers in the league. Uh, former goalie, goalkeeper of the year. Um, and all, all the saves he made are at the point where you expect him to make them. Oh, that header? That header on the... I don't, I don't remember if it was a corner or a set... Like a like a, a foul set piece, but that that was pretty good. I don't, I don't know if I'm expecting him to make that. 
and he comes up and he actually makes the catch. He holds onto the he ball does. on top of that. True, true, um, very impressive. And I'm going to give actually credit to the header of that ball, Bill Twimola, Twiloma, uh, who actually came in as once again Portland loses um, Larry's Mar- Mybiala this time to an injury instead of a red card in the Dallas game. Uh, despite being such a stalwart defense for them, he's you know they're they're finding ways to replace him. Yeah, and Tuloma came in and did, I think, a fabulous job. Uh, and, you know, he had the header, but he also he played, he put a good shift in defensively. And you have to. You have to have a co- cohesive bat line to be able to keep a team like Sporting Kansas City, even on the road, off the board. Because, you know, and they look good. This was the best I think their back line has probably looked all season. Yeah, I mean, there's no Alvis Powell. Uh, Zarek Valentin has established himself as a starter, uh, had a good shift at right back. Uh, I'm just wondering... You know, I, I do think for both teams, there was one player in the attack that was just a little bit off the pace. Uh, one more so than the other, uh, Darren Espria. As much oh, as he yes. was the hero last time, I thought he was the worst player in this game. Really couldn't make anything happen. Some wasteful runs and crosses. Um, kind of disappointed in him, and I think the Timbers fans will be looking forward to getting Andy Polo back. Yeah, hopefully they do get Andy Polo back, but he was, you know, we talked about those Portland minutes during the international break. Andy Polo... Played 77 minutes for Peru during the international break. And, you know, uh, let's face it, there's no international break. He's probably not getting injured. Yeah, exactly. That's probably the one of the instances where it counts. Um, on the other side, uh, I know that you're going to love this one. Kyrie Shelton uh, just wasn't enough of a threat. <laughs> I'm not rooting for anybody to fail. He just no, he doesn't impress me. No, I know you're not rooting from the fail. I just knew you'd like me to be saying that. Oh, well, of course. I, I do think Diego Rubio is much more of a goal threat. That said, I will give Shelton this. You know, he hassled and harried the uh, the Timbers defense. He gave them problems. You know, he wasn't giving the ball away. He wasn't wasteful. He's just never a goal threat. He doesn't seem like he's going to, you know, be the guy you get on the end of the cross. And sometimes in games like this, that's exactly what you need. A guy who's just going to pop up and get a goal. A guy's going to hit a long shot. A guy who's going to be able to do whatever it takes. And as as much as I think Shelton is a pretty decent player uh, and a good forward for their system, I think they needed Rubio this game. Yeah, I agree that they needed it just a little bit more offensively to get that goal. They did kind of have a late flurry towards the end of the game, but they were not able to finish the job or really put any kind of big threat on goal. Uh, going to the second leg, I think it favors Sporting Kansas City just because, I mean, look, you're going to have to go to Kansas City if you're Portland. You're going to have to win there. That that will not be easy. I suppose you could play for the penalties, but I don't know that anybody really wants to do that. The advantage you have if you're Portland is one goal of yours is make forces Kansas City to have to score two. So you do have that going for you since you did not concede in your own home game. And Portland has, in this postseason, a good track record of getting things done on the road because we've already saw it. that They had to that uh, knockout round game against Dallas. They went to uh, Frisco and won. They were able to get a result against Seattle in Seattle to advance to the uh, conference finals. And now here they are again. Yeah. A chance to go to MLS Cup. So, I mean, I'm with you. I think Sporting Kansas City has the edge, but I wouldn't count Portland out, I think. This game really could go either way. Uh, you know, as as much as I really like how Sporting Kansas City plays and their players, do they have a Diego Valeri, who's that big game kind of guy? I mean, do they have a Diego Chara, who's you know, or and David Guzman, who are tough tackling midfielders who are going to be tough to get by, who are going to make stops, who are going to do the gritty work? Um, 
You know, I don't. They need, I don't, they need Nate Borchers back. Yeah, I just don't know if they have Get that guy in his big beard back in there. I don't know if they have that kind of grittiness that Portland has. They have the flair. They have the technical ability. So we'll see how that turns out. Uh, honestly, as much as you don't think penalties, anyone wants to see that, which I agree, I wouldn't be surprised by a nil-nil. I think it's well, another I, tentative I, game. To be clear, I mean, the teams don't want to see that. Me, I don't. Me, I'm all right with it. <laughs> I mean, they're exciting, but I would like to see some goals. Um, it's never a fair way to decide when it goes to penalties. I think that's kind of the the classic cliche: is it's not fair. Yeah, but. no one ever really wants to decide things in penalties, but the reality is there, you know, I've always heard people say, oh, but why do the shootout? There's other things. Like, I've never heard anybody give me a reasonable alternative. I mean, if we brought back the old school shootout that ended in 99, the hockey shootout. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> I don't need to see that ever again. No, that's no, I'm fine. with you. <laughs> oh, my goodness. After two hours of play, it's still tied. All right, we, we can go to penalties. you got to go to the shootout. There's just no better way. I wish there was a better way. The reality is there just isn't. Like, I've heard people suggest something like the hockey overtime where, like, you got to take a guy off after, like, 15 minutes. and like, I'm, But I'm like, that's ridiculous. Like, these people are exhausted, and now you're going to make them run more? No. Come on. Yeah, there's there really yeah, isn't a good – and there's no way to test it out either. And what are you going to no, test out, like, not. high school games or something? Oh. So, um, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. But then again, you have a couple of big-time players. You have some – spark plugs like a Bobasay, uh, you hit a couple of really great flicks uh, and hold up play. So um, I'll be uh, specifically excited for this match as I think that both teams are really, really going to be on edge doing everything right tactically, defensively to make a stop. Yeah. All right. We move on just briefly because, you know, at this point it's already been over a week. No one cares. But the U.S. men's national team went to Europe Got housed twice. No, not housed. Yeah, they got housed. Who am I kidding? England destroyed them, and Italy probably should have destroyed them and just didn't finish enough. I think a, I think an actual bowl of lasagna would have had a hat trick. Kevin Lasagna? Yes. Yeah, I think an actual bowl of lasagna would have had a hat trick, whereas, you know, he didn't score. So, uh, look, against England, it's just nothing. Like, Pulisic was the only player on the field that I thought was worth even being out there. It was terrible. Against Italy, like, Sarakin decides in his last game he's going to go with a very bold 3-5-1-1 formation. Using Shaq Moore as a right-footed right-back at the left wing-back position. Pulisic playing underneath Sargent. That was bold. I appreciated it, but bold. I've seen a couple articles. Uh, I think there's one on The Athletic saying, like, how like, when it's specifically speaking about Sargent, like, wait until these guys start getting caps on the club level before we start playing with the national level. Uh, but I'm okay with him getting time. I mean, listen, he's not ready to take on Italy or England. A lot of these guys aren't, right? Well, to be fair, this was an Italy B team. Still, an Italy B team consists of guys who are still starters or yeah, impact yeah. players in the Agreed. Italian league, whereas... Well, there was I mean, a Serie B in there, player in there. <laughs> well, That's maybe, not a good sign. <laughs> no. I mean, but the difference is the U.S. You know, A team is basically, you know, once... A couple more uh, transactions go through, like Adams to Leipzig, is going to be basically a combination of guys who are starters in random right Bundesliga teams. So a B team for the U.S. I think is quite different from a B team from Italy in that regard. Uh, but I mean, it, you know, we're playing young guys for the most part, right? <clears throat> I know you don't like Bradley, but he's an experienced player. No Bradley, no Altador, no Fabian Johnson. Uh, you know, there is there is no... It is a big emphasis on the youth, at least. 
So these results... I, I appreciate that. <clears throat> as much as... I f- do appreciate that. It feels like we couldn't take anything from these games, right? Yeah. And unfortunately, we really can't. Like, yeah, there's... You know how certain guys now, they've gotten their first caps out of the way. So you got that. Yeah. And I mean, listen, as much as, like, we're all happy that Sarah Can's gone, he deserves some credit. Because... He does. Okay, he didn't really do anything positive. He didn't really, you know, do anything, you know, industrious or innovative. But he had some credit for bringing in the youth and getting caps for these guys. He was never the man to carry us forward. I think he knew that. He, he was just a man to kind of bridge the gap, like you said. The, um, the Dave Sarakin bridge. Sounds very official. Build the bridge. And yeah. he, I, you know, I don't know how much of those decisions, though, were Stewart. I wouldn't be surprised if Sarakan was literally just a figurehead and Stewart was kind of pulling all the strings. But, uh, you know, there's, you know, we got some caps. Some of the guys will get time to develop in a year. We'll see where we stand. Well, yeah, we will see where we stand. And look, there were, you know, Ethan Horvath. I want to, I want to mention him against Italy. He looked very good. I'm glad for him because the last time he put the U.S. shirt on, it was a disaster. So I'm happy for him. He's starting a little more for Club Bruges recently. Team that's in the Champions League. He got to play in the Champions League a couple weeks ago. He might get another chance this week to do so. If he does, that's great for him. And you know, it's him and Stefan battling it out for number one, and I love that. And I think it's good that he that Stefan's not just a surefire number one now because Horbath is putting in a pretty good resume, you know, putting in a pretty good um, application, I guess, to be the number one, playing in the Champions League, playing in Europe, putting in good performances like this against Italy. So um, I, I'd like to see that competition continue, not let guys get complacent because that's that's the problem I think the U.S. ran <laughs> that's into. That's how you end up in Trinidad. That's how you end up with you did in Trinidad you got to have that competition. And that's what the young guys bring, I think. So we'll be anxiously awaiting the answer, the announcement of the next U.S. men's national team coach. Uh, apparently they've uh, interviewed no one except for Greg Berhalter. <laughs> and uh, there's rumors that they interviewed three people. They said they interviewed two domestic people and one international. Greg Berhalter. Uh, David Moyes for the is was David Moyes yeah, the international I getting, guy? Like, I was getting to that. David Moyes was the international guy. I was trying to think oh, of a funny. It better not have been. Siggy Schmidt was the domestic guy. There it is. <laughs> That's possible that it was because I mean Vermees said he did not was he was not interviewed. Tata Martino was not approached for the job. Uh, Pareja obviously was not approached for the job because I can't imagine he would have said no given he put an entire clause in his contract to you know be the guy if it was offered to him. So ah, uh, who did they interview? Greg Vanny, maybe. Oh, goodness. Whatever. Maybe Bruce Arena's coming back. Oh, Round three. Ding, ding, ding. Yeah, third time's a charm. Well, anyway, we'll be anxiously awaiting the news when it comes out. I'm sure we'll all have a big sigh of meh when it finally happens. And look, I'm behind Burhalter 100% if he is the guy. I'm just, I'm getting kind of antsy waiting for it. I think we had this discussion like months we ago. Did. It was like, if it's Burhalter, just say it. Because they're, they're wait- out. What are you waiting for? Right, like they're waiting for this big reveal. Okay, okay, wait for him this season to end. You don't want to pull a Julian Lopetegui and crush your World Cup hopes. Well, hold on a second. On the subject of Julian Lopetegui, the rumor out there is that he offered himself to the U.S. and the U.S. said, ah, we're kind of too far along. Sorry, buddy. That's hilarious. That guy is probably going to struggle to find a job for a while now. I think he was scapegoated a little bit at Real Madrid, but he did. Yeah, unfortunately, he did himself no favors by leaving the national team and uh, high, high and dry days before the World Cup. Uh, yeah, that was definitely not good for his resume. 
So, but I wanted to say this because I, I, I thought I was beyond the point of caring, right? I just figured I was at the point where whenever they announce the guy, I'm good. But I have to say this. They said now th- this is all just rumor and speculation, right? For all we know, it didn't happen. There's you know reports that they're denying that they've offered themselves to the U.S. Whatever. If they if this happened, right? If Julian Lopetegui's camp came to them and said, "Hey, you know, we'd be interested for interviewing," and they said, "No, sorry, we're too far along," then there's two ways that goes, right? They either are too far along, in fact, and have you know they're do- they've done extensive research on every single person they've interviewed. You know, they had you know three or four really good candidates, and they've they've all presented detailed plans on what they're going to do. And every waking moment, Ernie Stewart and the rest of the U.S. Soccer Federation is spending looking at those plans and saying, "Okay, this is what this guy's going to do." Right? They're sweating it out every single day. They're looking page by page at the uh, binder that they brought in. If that's what happened, I'm okay with it because that's that's fair. That is absolutely fair to say that you're gonna give you want to give everyone a, a fair chance, and it's not fair to everyone who already submitted a detailed plan to just let this guy come in and interview and possibly get the job just because you know he's Julian Lopetegui, right? Fair. But if they're just sitting on their hands and saying, "No, sorry, we already hired Burhalter. No, maybe next time, buddy," then man, I that mean, is not a good look. Fair, unfair at this level, I'm not really one to say. But um, I do wonder what they're doing every, you know, what Ernie Stewart's out there doing every day is a job out in Chicago at the USSF headquarters. You want me to go ask him? Yeah. I'll go ask him. Go give him a ring, stop on his doorstep, because honestly, like, is there even a chance he's working eight hours a day going through coaches, figuring out who's going to be best, and he's been doing this for a whole year? No chance at all. I think he picked Burhalter a long time ago. <laughs> Oh, well, well, that's the most frustrating part. Is well, that I think you picked out him December a while 9th. ago. I we'll find uh, out then. December ninth. When wasn't it the day after? Uh... Oh, so you're saying they're gonna wait till after? See, uh, my theory's been they're waiting for halftime of MLS Cup to announce it to make it this grandiose announcement on Big Fox. Oh my God! Honestly, I can see during that half-time. happening. I can see that's, it happening. That's my theory because I don't think it's gonna happen. Thir- I thought if it was gonna happen during the semifinals or the conference finals, excuse me. Uh, I thought it would have happened yesterday. So since it didn't happen yesterday, I doubt they're going to do it on Thursday. I think they're waiting for a Moss Cup. Oh, um, we've been waiting for this for a year now. Uh, I, I, I think it's going to be tough to live up the expectation. That's all I got. Yeah. Well, hopefully the semi. The, oh my goodness! I keep calling them. Like, that's they are. They're semifinals, but in conference finals. Uh, Thursday, 7 p.m. Eastern. FS1. New York Red Bulls. Atlanta United. Atlanta United uh, have the three-goal advantage. New York Red Bulls need to score three just to tie. Then at 9:30 on ESPN, Sporting Kansas City hosts Portland Timbers. All to play for. 0-0 heading into that one. Don't fall asleep. The game probably won't start till 10, uh, because mm-hmm. that's another thing MLS has got to stop with these half hour pregame show or you know 15 20 minute pregame shows beforehand that and just announce the kickoff time you will make people so much more happy happy well i was thinking about it because it's it's listed at last you know last night was last listed at five for the uh, atlanta game and you go in there's no pregame show there's no you know comp lead up it was like some uh college football show 30 minutes before kickoff so at least they're giving themselves some sort of pregame show. But I'm with you. Say kickoff's not at 5:30; it's at 5:45; it's at 5:50. Uh, at least, you know, I guess it gets them more viewers for their pregame show. It does, and I'm I'm all for that. I want I want there to be you know intelligent discussions about the game beforehand. Don't get me wrong. You know why do you think we're here, right? But <laughs> this is just shocking. Sometimes how like uh, I tune in and I'm like I forget, and I'm like oh right. 
sorry, it's not time yet. And, you know, I'm, I'm a big NFL person. So, you know, I've got my laptop open. I've got the, you know, the, the football on and uh, here I am like, all right, it's MLS time. And no, no, wait, no, I guess not. I guess I'll just wait a little while longer. Wait another half hour for the kickoff. Uh, it's fine because I ended up uh, having some mix-up in times yesterday, and I wasn't late to the Sporting Kids Kansas City Portland game because it starts 20 minutes later. I was able to get it right towards the beginning. Well, that's good for you. Uh, well, again, on the, on the subject of American soccer show, uh, Mexico is, in fact, part of the Americas. And did you know, Emmett, that it's playoff time in Mexico? Oh, boy. My favorite time of year. Oh, yes. So that's why you're going to watch them. That They're starting Wednesday and Thursday. First okay. legs. I'll put it on my finals. calendar. You can watch it in glorious Spanish because there is no English coverage of this league. Except for, uh, actually, uh, I'll have, have to check on those Monterey games because, as we all know, Fox Sports doing God's work, putting it League MX on in English. We'll see if they pick up the playoff games. I can't imagine they wouldn't. Well, considering they only have specific teams, I would wonder if they only get uh, you know one or two games in the playoffs. Uh, but you know, I've been working on my Spanish. Yo quiero Liga MX. Ah, oh, beautiful. Looking I'm so forward proud to it. You. You've come so far, so yeah, great stuff there. If you're if you're starved for soccer, this I doubt you will be because there's Champions League this weekend. You know, all the domestic leagues are back. But in case you are starved, again, Wednesday and Thursday, first legs, uh, second leg Saturday and Sunday, some good matchups. There, and uh, we, I said we'd come back to the Libertadores final. Like I said, announcement coming tomorrow and on when the game's going to be played. There's been talk that they want to move the game to the United Arab Emirates because, if you, if you don't know, the 2018 Club World Cup is taking place there, and the Conmebol representative needs to be, you know, there and ready to play on December 18th. So it's not happening this week. I don't uh, if it's well if it's at the Monumental, which is where River Plate play. It's not happening this this weekend because the G20 Summit is being held there. So that's out. They're, I don't think they want to play midweek, but even if they wanted to, this week's already out because they've got uh, River Plate have a cup match this Wednesday, and then again I don't think they want to do midweek. So the earliest we could be looking at here is December eighth, and then just give her whoever it is a ten day vacation in the in the Emirates. I think that's enough time. I don't. I don't think that that's that crazy. I don't like. We hold inter confederation like uh, playoffs for spots in the World Cup that are like six days apart in South America and then in Australia. Is this really that big of like a no. deal that you think? I think you're inconveniencing the loser more than anything. The winner, yeah. Oh yeah, you get to stay loser. Yeah, you better get back to Argentina. You got a game in six days, guys. Yeah. No. I. It's well. I think they got a lot of stuff to figure out. You know, dates, oh, times. Don't fans. they ever. Uh, but I'm looking forward to it either way, and you know, hope, hoping just like me, everyone else will be watching these Liga MX games because I know <laughs> you listeners are starved for soccer content, and that's what we're here to provide. But unfortunately, that's all the time we have this week on the American Soccer Show. No more content today. No more content, and look, we're going to be under an hour for the first time in a little while. Going to have to click, run it run it down quickly, pretty sweet, pretty quickly. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to us. Check out past episodes. Uh, you can find us iTunes, Google, Spotify uh, for all your American soccer needs. Make sure to leave us a review. Give us five stars. Give us four stars even. We'll take it. Now, shout out to the, pe- the five <laughs> people on iTunes who have given us a five-star rating. Don't yeah. know who you are or why you've done that, but congratulations. You've, you've, you've earned a place in my heart forever. And it means you've been listening to this long, and that makes you special to Eric and myself. But until next time... I'm Emmett McConnell, alongside Eric Alcantor. 
signing off.